Hello, and welcome to this episode of Diving into the Data Den, Season 2, your friendly neighborhood data podcast run by desperate students for desperate students and other interested people. This is a show where we talk about the ever-growing domain of data, gain insights from industry professionals of diverse backgrounds, and expose everyone to what seems to lie deep in this den. I'm your host, Jamin, and together with my co-host, Invita, for this episode, we have a guest with a LinkedIn page that would make anybody jealous. With a vast amount of experience in both academia and industry in the financial and energy sectors, our guest is a well-rounded data scientist powerhouse with plenty of experience under his belt. He's currently working as a senior software engineer for Loblaw's machine learning and data science platform. So please, everybody, welcome Aditya. Woo! Hey, thank you, Jamin, for that uh, amazing introduction. I, I don't think I've ever had anything like that before. So thanks for that. Yeah, no problem. And if you don't mind, we're going to jump right into our rapid fire questions where we ask you um, in under a minute, uh, rapid fire questions like, oh, what's your favorite ice cream? What's your favorite language? Um, what's your job title? Blah, blah. So if you're ready, please give us a signal and we'll get started. Yeah, let's go. All right. So what's your job title? It's a senior software engineer for machine learning platform at Lobla Digital. What did you study in university? So my undergrad was in electronics and communication engineering. That was in India. My master's were compu- was computational engineering and science. And then I have a PhD in electrical and computer engineering. What's your favorite programming language? Yeah, for now, it has to be Python. Favorite SQL command? Um, window functions and qualify. Uh, for uh, between AWS, Azure, and GCP, which one would you prefer? GCP. Mm. TensorFlow or PyTorch? PyTorch. What's your favorite coding snack? Um, that's a hard one. I don't really snack a lot, but I love ice cream. So yeah, mm, ice cream. I agree. <laughs> your most recommended tech book? Oh, it's been a while since I read any book, but I've been trying to get uh, get through uh, data-driven application, designing data-driven application, or something like that. Is that, that the O'Reilly one? Yeah, that one. Uh, nice. Uh, what's the best time of day to code for you? Time of day? It really depends on my energy levels. I would say... Uh, on a good day, if I wake up and I get focused and not look at my phone, it's the morning. Windows, Mac, or Linux? Linux. What's your favorite ML algorithm? Uh, I'm going to sound a bit nerdy, but uh, it's any search, line search algorithm. Uh, Basically, uh, yeah, even gradient descent falls under that broad category. And if you weren't doing data science or machine learning, you would be doing what? Probably something in the arts, uh, music, I think, mm. or dancing. And yeah, that is all of our rapid fire questions. I hope we didn't impress you too hard there. Um, and I thought it was interesting that um, I think a lot of people we interview actually answered GCP for their cloud platforms. Will there be like a specific reason why? I think it might be a combination of reasons. 
Um, I don't know where your interviewees are located. I, I think I am in Canada. I mean, I've, my work experience has all been in Canada. And I think GCP kind of went hard selling when uh, mm. uh, the startups here came up um, yeah. for the last five, six years. And I also think it is a bit less uh, UI uh, focused and a lot more command line. So if you probably, yeah, I think it really depends on the preference and the location and what people have gotten the chance to work with. Right. So, and and I, I might be jumping right into our next section here, but um, so if you were giving advice to somebody who's trying to break into the field to learn one of these platforms, would it be, would it have to be GCP then? Honestly, I don't really have a lot of experience with the other two main cloud providers. Obviously, there are a lot more minor ones. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that GC, uh, personally, the way I look at it is that if I know the the take a take a step back and look at each of the cloud uh, products that each of these platform provides, like if you're working on uh, AWS and you're working with step functions, Google has uh, Google Cloud functions. There's mm -hmm. always going to be an equivalent. Um, there's, uh, yeah, so I think if you're kind of uh, getting used to a particular cloud platform, don't worry about the rest of it. It's just that you need to be able to understand what the overall product is doing and right. then be able to translate it to other cloud providers. Right. And, and so I guess I want to segue that into, you know, that was like a one piece of advice you could kind of give to um, students who are trying to break into this field, who are trying to learn more about um, DS and ML. And so I guess I want to start by asking you how you ended up breaking into ML. Um, I know you actually had degrees in computer uh, computational engineering um, and also electrical engineering. So I was kind of wondering how you just why you decided to come um, into this field and how what that process kind of looked like. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably where I think there may be some uh, further discussion needed to figure out where both of us are coming from, because to me, electrical engineering is does have a lot of algorithmic um, theory as well as, uh, you know, having to develop algorithms yourself if you're, especially if you're doing research. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, when I was working in my grad school, uh, one of the like people famous are like uh, instrumental in bringing about the JPEG format for images was working in my department in electrical engineering. Um, JPEG compression, encoding, all of that. Um, and then my uh, research was uh, learning um, and, and implementing uh, uh, optimization algorithms, um, not exactly the same ones that are used to train models necessarily, but very adjacent and therefore very relevant to machine learning. Um, so yeah, like 
if you're if you're if you're learning a lot of algorithms or in in some other kind of program you're learning statistics um there's there's a lot of entry points into to data science that you can right. take from any of these programs right so as long as like you have kind of a strong I guess, technical foundation, no matter what it is, um, you would think that would be a good foundation, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I have um, I have a bias towards, yeah, like uh, engineering programs, but uh, you're, you're absolutely right in that if there is a good enough technical foundation in your program, then you're, you're good. Right. And Aditya, you pursued your bachelor's, but then continued your education to pursue a master's and a PhD as well. So... Would you recommend from your experience uh, for someone to pursue a master's degree or even their PhD? I guess, what was your inspiration for wanting to continue your education uh, after your bachelor's degree? Yeah, I think the choice that I, choices that I made to, to go to grad school um, and continue pursuing, like, you know, after a master's and other grad program are you know, a lot of circ- things are circumstantial. Um, a lot of it is like what my family culture is. So I don't think there is one path. If the goal for someone is to uh, pursue a career in data science or machine learning, um, I would... Okay, let me answer answer the question this way, right? If you're interested in developing new algorithms and be on the cutting edge of um, machine learning research, uh, it like more than 95% of the people you'll find in these jobs will have a, a PhD uh, or at least a master's. Right. It's very rare that you'll find folks in that those kind of jobs who are you know, who happen to just do an undergrad and find themselves working with awesome people so that, you know, they're able to gain experience outside of the academic setting. Mm-hmm. Um, for the rest of the jobs, uh, you you do actually find a lot of people from very varied background backgrounds. Right. So it's not just about a like if, if you if you really want to do the cutting edge like you said and like the research component then i guess getting a master's is kind of inevitable but if you're just looking to break into the field i guess that wouldn't be too much of a barrier to entry yeah absolutely right um and so kind of continuing on with that about breaking into the field um what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to break into um doing da- data science or machine learning um let's say at your company specifically right now at loblaws um, or the field in general. So let's say if you were, I guess, picking out people or if you wanted to give a, like very specific advice to people who are trying to get into your company, um, what would you be looking for? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And it's hard to answer because there's such a broad base of um, people who, who really want to, to break into the field and each of them will come with a different set of strengths and different set of things that they they haven't been exposed to. So let me think about this um, a little bit. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, if I were to talk from 
um, the perspective of my company, I would say um, there, this company might be a bit of an exception. And, and recently I've had some conversations with folks in San Francisco, in the, front, the San Francisco area as well. But um, I think this is true, what I'm going to say. And it is, we are a bit more hands-on in terms of engineering. So a lot of other companies might expect you to, to know a bit of uh, data analysis, SQL, and then a bit of modeling and generally how to develop a model. Right. Um, in Python, for example, for us, we expect data scientists to actually be able to productionize their models with minimal help from someone like me, right? right. So there is a varied um, set of expectations depending on the company. And I'm not trying to say that what uh, the standards that are expected in my company is better than uh, somewhere else, because I also know that there are very reputable companies where really smart people are working, they, where they can focus entirely on, you know, analytics and developing models. And they, they have, they don't have to worry about the DevOps or the, the productionizing side of things. It's just the way it is in my company. Right. Um, but definitely at the minimum, you need, you need to be really comfortable with uh, spending a lot of time with data, very comfortable with SQL and very comfortable with Python, bare minimum. Uh, right. Yeah, and then be able to demonstrate that that you have the ability to build models technically. And we've just talked about technical stuff so far in the inner in this in this podcast, but I think for a good data scientist and a machine learning engineer. Uh, developing the, the business acumen, the product acumen is uh, equally important uh, because uh, in a, in an, uh, in a co- company setting, machine learning serves the purpose of fulfill, fulfilling a product requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, if a company has the luxury of spending money on someone's salary, just to test things out, things will, you know, we've seen the the economy go through different stages over the last couple of years. Right. When there's a lean patch in the company, they're going to try to cut that out. Mm-hmm. So really, um, yeah, if you're breaking into a company, expect um, product requirements and business requirements to take priority over good modeling, good engineering practices and so on. Right. So, right. Yeah. And, and the first thing I guess um, to summarize, I guess the first thing you said was, um, <clears throat> sorry, sir. Um, but yeah, so, so I guess it's a really important thing to develop that, you know, like you said, the business, um, business acumen, um, thinking more about what you're doing in terms of the stakeholders and what kind of like application your model has. And, I know that is something that a lot of people, uh, like a lot of our previous guests have reflected as well. Um, but I wanted to ask you, how would you develop that kind of business acumen um, or experience kind of dealing with stakeholders for people who are just trying to break in 
um, and won't really that have a, that kind of experience, I guess? That's a great question. Um, let me try to um, try to structure my thoughts here. So, I would say we we live in a system where companies exist to. Um, you you mentioned stakeholders. Uh, let's call them stakeholders, but primarily. What do most stakeholders want? Some type of profit, right? right. Uh, to sound very cliched, uh, you can say follow the money. So basically, how is your work contributing to the company right. making more money? Right. Right. Um, and could they do without you? So could they do without a machine learning model? Mm-hmm. Are, are whatever like if you're not building models, uh, analytics, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, that's and that's a very difficult question to answer in any setting, and it's difficult for very experienced people to answer as well. And I would say, like, um, even in during the interview phase. Um, start thinking about that. Like, how is this job that they're interviewing me for going to contribute to um, uh, the bottom line of the company? Uh, And the way you can find that out during the interview phase is by asking, what what are the performance measures for this role and for the team, for example? Right. Um. And if they give a very generic answer, just press them. Uh, And that'll give you an idea of whether they know what they want or not. Right. Um, And and I think that's pretty interesting because, um, yeah, it's really easy to just think about things on the technical end, like, oh, I know how to do, I know how to make a regression model. But this is definitely something that um, I think a lot of people do struggle with. Uh, I guess you could say how to really provide value to a company. Because like you said, if there's economic downturn, if the company decides they don't want to, they don't want you anymore, then it's really easy to be replaced. Um, yeah. If they're experimenting with you, I guess, versus if you're driving actual value. Yeah. Right. And and but I but I, I know in that sense, I think for students or interns or I guess just people who are new to the field, it can be a little bit different. Um, and I want to talk about that actually. So if you were picking out a student, I suppose, um, or any applicant to your team, what would be some red flags? Um, or what are, what would be some green flags in your applicants? Yeah, um, that's also a very good question, and I would say that depends on the team that I'm working on. So my answer today will be different to an end if you'd asked me this question while I was working in my last job or the one before that. Right. Um, and the reason I say that is the what I expect from an intern today in my job is different from what I would expect from the previous jobs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me try to give you a couple of different scenarios. So right now, um, I'm in the team that builds um, builds the infrastructure, maintains the uh, backend services, the databases, the computer platforms and so on for 
the whole suite of, um, you know, uh, pla- like, you know, platforms where I think that's the word to use platform for data scientists to experiment, to develop and uh, deploy and maintain models in production. Um, if there was an, uh, someone who's trying to apply to a job, like an internship in my, in my team, I would be looking for someone who has strong understanding of, uh, compute resources, uh, what, um, to, to be able to be self-sufficient in being able to debug, uh, understand, uh, what to look for when something fails and how to think about uh, building a new system or a new model or a new training pipeline. Right. If you, I, mm-hmm. To give you another example, I was working in a team that was mainly doing the other end of this, which is actually developing the models figuring out what's the right training data set to use, discovering data sets. In that role, I would expect someone to be very good at SQL and being able to ask, translate business questions into questions to ask the data right. and trying to find insights from the data to figure out what type of model to build. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I guess that kind of goes along with what you said that you value of people being able to build things end to end, I guess, in a way. And, and I guess that is a reflection that also appears in your interns, hopefully, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't expect, I, to be clear, I, I am kind of, even among my friends, there's a lot of friends who I know uh, who are also in this field and we have like very informal conversations Right. They've been able to advance in their career, not having to be as broad based as the topics that I'm discussing today are. So they're mainly like, you know, they're focused only on developing models. They've been able to advance their careers in that either becoming managers or like, you know, seniors or staff or, or, or whatnot. Right. Right. Um, this is my personal, like what I, how I view, um, things and what I want from my career and and it is um, I made an explicit choice that I don't want to go up before I have a broad enough understanding I want to be able to you know like be someone who is able to talk to like marketing and product people and translate them their questions and um, requirements into into you know even simple dashboarding tasks right or to develop models um to 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 kind of like give them pocs and then now i'm in like more like heavy production uh related work so like i I want that's the choice that i made but not everyone needs to do that to be successful in this field Right. And, and I guess um, it really depends on your strengths and your interests, I guess. Yeah, um, for sure. Right. And, and on that note, 
Um, I wanted to ask, what are some of the most important skills for aspiring data science? I guess this could be for students or people, like I said, trying to break into the field. Um, what would be some of the most important skills you would say? But I want to put a little twist on this and say, what is a very important or something that would be unconventional skill? Um, something that would make you look different or distinguish yourself from the crowd. Um, so something like obviously a good Python background, a SQL background, um, knowing algorithms and a technical background. That's um, that's obviously very, very important. But what would you look for in someone that's um, that would make them a little bit special or something kind of um, that would make them stand out in your eyes? Yeah, that's a big... Okay, let me think. Like if... If someone who's fresh out of university are, you know, in their last years and they're doing a co-op, something that would stand out to me is if they've actually, um, like, you know, put a real machine learning model in production and not even a machine learning model. If they've um, put a product um, in production right um that's actually being used for 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 a considerable amount of time and they've mm -hmm. learned from that experience right so it doesn't have to be exactly machine learning um but if you were to launch a, like for example launch a product or a service or you know like build something and then like actually be able to deploy it and run it for other people i guess that would be a huge I guess, green flag for you. Yeah, because um, at the end of the day, um, that is really, it goes back, ties back to what I was talking about earlier. Um, it, it, it kind of tells me that there is a need for something that you've built in the market and the company is actually interested in productionizing it and the fact that it's been in the market for a long enough time means that there is at least some usage of it so you've actually delivered business value oh and, and that could be a good way of getting that business acumen i guess you were talking about earlier yeah i mean for sure um yeah you could also do this without a lot of business acumen by being around great people with a good product and uh engineering leadership as well right right um, and this is the last question for this section of, you know, student interest. I'm going to pass it off to Nvidia after this one. But if you could go back in time, what advice would you give to yourself when you were just starting out in your career? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So I made a few choices early on in my career that were kind of because I... Um, they were kind of based on my experience and being a bit um, pessimistic about the opportunities that I could have had. So I kind of took my, um, the first offers I got at different stages mm -hmm. or I was acting out of uh, fear. But unless you're really, and this could be the case for a lot of your listeners, but if you have some parental support or are able to live with your parents, um, be like, don't be afraid to take risks early on in your career in terms of um, 
being choosy about what your what opportunities you say yes to um uh if you i understand if you if you're you know um you know not your family is not in in canada or the united states wherever you are uh or your you really need uh to be employed to meet um uh, make ends meet uh then yeah like your choices might be limited and that was kind of my case uh to an extent but i also think that if i were a little more brave early on i could have had a faster trajectory towards like the kind of uh career goals that i want to achieve great thank you and i just want to pass it off really quickly now to envita um to ask more questions about you Sure. Yeah, thanks, Shaman. So, uh, Aditya, you spoke a bit about how in your current role you work with more so the MLOps side and the actual platforms that you use to develop, uh, deploy, and maintain the software. So I'm curious to know more about uh, that day-to-day experience at Loblaw Digital and what does a typical day look like for you there? Yeah, that's a good question as well. Um so typically, there are there are a few different machine learning teams who are responsible for developing the models, um, and you know experimenting with data, data sets, different types of models to to you know basically fulfill specific product requirements. So they're the ones doing the modeling. Um, so, and they are the ones using the platforms and templates that, that I build and that my, the, the folks in my team built. So, uh, a good percentage of the time is spent, um, kind of helping them sometimes uh, understand how to use our tools better, or um, you know, have discussions on where um, things might have gone wrong, things might go wrong. To um, having discussions on system design a lot, um, so things like that, and then a lot of uh, uh, the other part of the job is to build out. Uh, more tools for, you know, like for the, you know, if you build out infrastructure, we also need to build out things for folks to be able to monitor it, to be able to alert on it. Uh, we are, that's a main focus for us this year. So we're building a lot of observability tools. Um, and then there's a lot of maintenance that comes with stuff as well. Like, um, we work with a lot of DevOps teams to maintain um, some tools on our Kubernetes clusters or some uh, instances of, I don't know, databases or Airflow. And we, we, we need to constantly be updating and upgrading the versions of them so that they are up to speed with the latest and uh, greatest. And, and some of them we have to do it because 
our our teams really want to build with the latest models and the latest models are not built to work with older infrastructure or older dependencies when it comes to code. So a lot of it is probably, yeah, um, that, that's what a day-to-day looks like. But from a broader perspective, it's, um, yeah, uh, supporting and helping teams be able to use the platform we build and, and the other is building and improving the platform. Right. And then you mentioned you guys uh, built some of those platform templates and have a better understanding of how to use the tools. Um, do you have any preferences in terms of what tools or services that you prefer on, I guess, within MLOps uh, or if there's any, I guess, biases you have towards certain tools? Um, we, although we use Google Cloud Platform, we we use a lot of open source tools, right? So I have by, for example, every good um, analytics, at least of, of a good good enough scale, uh, analytics or machine learning team should use a um, workflow orchestrator, basically something like an Airflow, right? And mm-hmm. I would buy I would bias towards as Airflow because it is it is an open source tool, and um, and that's good for the company um, because you're likely to have a broader pool of um, um, talent to be able to hire from, and the learning resources for Airflow are are plenty, and it's a very actively developed. Uh, software. So that's just one example. Um, so bias, my bias is towards open source. I see. Okay. So basically you're saying open source uh, is in terms of the learning curve and actually having the resources and the documentation to kind of get onboarded onto those tools is why you would prefer that? Yeah. So um, in a lot of cloud platforms, all these open source tools are provided in a um, "Quote unquote managed service uh, way, which which means that a lot of the maintenance and infrastructure is taken automated by the cloud platform. So, um, so yeah, so I would say use open source, but the managed service version. Okay, and from your background in general, maybe it's at this company or in a past company or experience." In terms of maybe the tools you've worked with or the projects that you've worked on, what was the most interesting to you? Um, there are quite a few interesting projects. Uh, uh, it's hard for me to choose because um, each of them uh, taught me a lot, a lot of different things, but in different aspects of uh, machine learning. I mean, the most recent one that I've been working on is uh, being able to to build an infrastructure for all of our machine learning teams to be able to observe the performance of their models, as well as to be able to detect drift or any anomalies, things like that. Mm-hmm. So being able to build uh, a scalable, also more reusable type of infrastructure for different types of teams like 
uh, teams using doing search models or recommendation models or ads models or um, models for time series forecasts. Uh, something that's extensible for all these different types of use cases is very interesting. Um, my other roles, something that I found interesting is being able to discuss with the, the CEO and chief product officer and and explain in the return on investment of investing in analytics. So that that's something that I had to do in one of my previous jobs and getting them on on board to spending money on tools and software, um, things like that. that. That's also interesting to me. Um, so yeah, it's it really depends on the, the problem. I think to me personally, it's the impact that the work um, eventually has. Right, and then in terms of when you are interested in a specific maybe new tool or you want to pitch to um, someone who's higher up in the company about why you would want to invest in that certain tool. How do you stay up to date with those latest trends and developments and come to that decision that there is a certain tool that you would want to pursue? Yeah, so I there's a lot of uh, Googling that happens. Um, a lot of you know, I look for the open source versions first. I also look for um, like how many people are using it based on, you know, Gartner lists, how many blog posts there are. You know, those are indicators of how widely it's being used. Um, and then there's also a lot of... Um, if specifically with open source, you can go by looking at the product project um, lifetime, like how long the, the open source project's been in active development, how many stars there are in their open source repository, for example, is a good indicator. So that will kind of give you an example. And what I'm really looking for is if I'm looking for a tool, how easy it is for me to onboard how easy it is for me to maintain, uh, like as in, is it is maintenance going to take up 80% of my time? Then I don't want it. If that's the case, is there a paid alternative that is going to give me a good return on investment on spending, let's say X amount of dollars a month, but it's gonna, uh, but it's less than spending on someone's full-time salary, right? So. Like those are the kind of decisions that I would look for when, like you know, pitching to the to the higher ups. Um, and, and also, you want the 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 tool you're choosing to do what you need to do. So you want to uh, you know spend time, you know, at least comparing two or three tools before you test them. Go through a trial phase. Um, in the trial phase, have very clear tests. Uh, that you want to conduct during that trial phase outline before you do it, and then have, um, you know, like criteria on which you're going to decide also before you do the testing. And then you right. can decide after. Yeah. Okay, nice. So you're looking for basically 
not only, as you mentioned before, the software that is easy to onboard and it, it's kind of efficient to get started with, but also what in the long term is going to benefit uh, the service that you want to provide or benefit your teams the most. Yeah, and and the long term could really depend on the, the what long term means could really depend on the team, right? Mm-hmm. It's a fast growing startup. Like obviously, every startup thinks it's going to be fast growing, so so your time horizon is going to be relatively small. So a long term in a like a young startup would probably be one year or so even six months, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking at hiring for like, you're sure that you're going to get money to hire in the next six months, but for a company that's like, you know, larger, uh, you're looking at much longer time horizon, like three to five years, like one to three years, maybe in even five years sometimes, because you want something that is, you have a lot of data, you have a lot of pipelines, you have a lot of infrastructure you want to onboard onto something that is going to be there for a while and the company that you're buying the software from is also going to to live for that long because you don't want to lose support over the next little while. Right. So, yeah, as you were saying before, it all comes down to, I guess, what the company at that time is prioritizing or what their key values are and how you want to contribute to their success. Yeah, Exactly. Nice. Okay. And I also actually was looking at your maybe your past experiences, um, not just your current. And I saw that you have experience and interest in both the financial and the energy sectors. So I was mm-hmm. curious about how you ended up having expertise in the two distinct fields. Well, the energy sector was basically my master's and PhD, right? So um, I... I still have interest in the energy sector. It's just very slow to move um, in terms of, um, well, depending on how you look at it. So if you're looking at it from comparing it to like consumer um, products, like things change every week. Um, so, So compared to that, Changes in the energy sector are um, take a long more t- lot more time in the years or decades because a lot of the innovation in that sector need to happen at physical hardware infrastructure level. So unless those things happen, and that requires a lot of you know testing, safety testing, potentially regulations, a lot of money invested politics, local politics, state level politics, provincial level politics, national level politics, those things take a lot of time. And innovations at the speed of software um, can only happen after at least a minimal level of that hardware, hardware infrastructure has gone in, Mm -hmm. right? So like IoT sensors, like more smart sensors, smart, energy meters, for example, those took a long time for, for, um, for homes to get them in, in, in North America, even. Right. So, so, um, I kind of forget what your question was, but yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that was my in foray into energy. And I, because it, it was the academic setting, I could, 
I could do things without having to wait for, um, you know, the, the regulations to catch up mm-hmm. and move on. And then the first jobs that I had in industry were in the financial sector. And I kind of learned all of it um, at, in the job. And now I'm in retail. So, yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. You have like a broad, you studied kind of more with the energy sector, but then that business acumen you were talking about came more from your work experience itself. So you did have the opportunity to kind of uh, delve into different industries and sectors based on your academic and your work experiences. Yeah. And um, I, I, I'm just, I think I'm lucky in that I, I am interested in my own interests also include how, how the, these businesses work. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody should be interested in that. Some folks are like really hardcore technical. Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, your career path, uh, it might be um, a different way you find what you like. Um, this, this is just how I went about my career so far. Okay. And then in terms of being in the retail sector now, you talked about how with energy, there were a lot of, I guess, regulations and obstacles to overcome in working uh, in a sector like that. But with retail, do you think there are any uh, maybe challenges that arise when developing AI solutions? Yeah, it, it really depends. So uh, now and I hadn't thought about it this way, but if you kind of look at that arc connecting the dots looking back in my career so energy is like very highly regulated um maybe not as highly regulated as finance in some ways but slower finance is also slower but there's um like maybe higher more regulations but it it kind of moves a little bit faster and there's a lot of data to work with already uh, and now in retail, it's a little bit less regulated in terms of what kind of modeling you can use, but you still have data protection, uh, you know, anti-competition law, like anti-fraud. It's just there There are regulations. It's just that they don't necessarily come in the way of developing machine learning models as much as they might in finance, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. And just looking ahead, I'm curious about your thoughts on maybe any emerging technologies or even trends that could disrupt the retail sector. Do you think there are any uh, advancements that you've come across that you find exciting or that may make a significant impact within the sector that you work in right now? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting one. I'm not... Um, I, I would call myself a very skeptical person and uh, it's hard to get me excited about something new. For example, um, the AR VR cycle that we've been seeing, it could really be very interesting if you could, I don't know, like in retail for clothing, for example, if you could really um gives someone a sense of how they look like in a piece of clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're getting better and better at that. Uh, we're not there yet. So that's that's something that could 
that could potentially be disruptive. Um, another one is we've seen a lot of rapid delivery stuff with a team like, you know, companies like Amazon, but the company that I work at, uh, we're more of like, um, we, we do like things that you might buy in Amazon, but we are like also Canada's largest grocers. So being able to successfully um, do the same kind of delivery convenience with perishable items, with maintaining the freshness and and uh, of of something that is that is produce or or something that's like freshly baked or freshly made in store, mm-hmm. that's a challenge. We're working hard towards it. It's just something that is hard to disrupt, but I. I can see there being changes in there. And also something that a lot of folks may not think about is in retail. Um, a lot of the newer companies, and I say newer, I include Amazon, Instacart, and things like that in there, um, have a lot of, trouble with being able to deliver this as at the same time as treating their labor in a fair manner we we're seeing a lot of that right across yeah across the world um i think there's a lot of disruption and innovation to be had there as well and um i, I don't know how it's going to come i can see there's a lot of angles to it but it's a really hard problem to solve. Yeah. And that also just goes into, you were mentioning with all the challenges that go into uh, regulations and in different sectors like energy, there's also these ethical considerations that you have as well um, and have to find a balance with those uh, different areas and considerations as well. Yeah, exactly. So um, for us, we like we 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 offer these kind of services, but since we are kind of uh, inside a very large and very established organization, we do have um, labor practices and things like that that we we follow from having been an established company for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see how these differences play out between companies. Right. Yeah. And I just want to quickly jump into, um, this is a little bit of a different topic. Um, but I saw that you recently gave a talk at TMLS, the conference. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And could you tell us a little bit more about, um, how that was? So, you know, what was that experience like? Yeah. Um, I mean, the process was, well, this year um, we did not sponsor the conference, so we, we didn't get automatic spots, but I was lucky enough to be selected among uh, applicants based on the abstract that I submitted. And, and I was talking about the, the model observability uh, work that I, um, that I briefly mentioned earlier. Uh, being able to look at model performance and building the infrastructure for that. Right. So uh, luckily the the 
uh, the panels found the topic interesting. And then I was able to, um, um, you know, prepare uh, a narrative and presentation that uh, was broad enough, but and also not uh, talking about the exact uh, architectures that we were building. Um, like partly because we want to be able to speak to a larger audience, but also we don't want to give away what we're building, uh, mm-hmm. the details of it. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, the experience was, yeah, like striking a balance on that was something that I was considering and also ensuring that um, something as technical as, you know, building, uh, you know, a lot of different system design considerations to a broader audience who, like, you know, folks who might be not be very technical, who are, you know, business leaders who are attending the conference, people who are, like, mainly building analytics pipelines or dashboards or purely building models. Um, So, like, you know, making sure that you are able to speak to every you know, all, all different um, categories of uh, uh, ex- people who have those experiences was something that I considered. And, and internally, we had a couple of different avenues. We have our internal, you know, presentation um, events. And, you know, I presented there a couple of times as well. So, um so yeah, it was a good experience. It was pretty well attended. There was a lot of questions and I was able to learn a lot about, you know, how other folks approach this kind of uh, problem in their own companies. Right. And for those who may actually not be familiar with um, the conference, mm-hmm. um, could you provide a little bit of background on the conference or actually just um, about uh, TMLS itself? I uh, you stand for Toronto Machine Learning Society. Um, um, yeah, I think it's Summit. Oh, su- Summit, yeah. Yeah. And what makes it unique and valuable for professionals um, that are involved in machine learning and the AI community? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it, it's valuable in that um, you do attract quite a number of folks from um, across Canada and the U.S., uh, there's a lot of companies attending from the U.S. There are some VCs that I met, um, like the big players in Canada. Like you had uh, a keynote from Joshua Benjo, for example, um, and a lot of like you know innovative companies, like companies building ML Labs platforms, for example, were made, you know of interest to me. Companies building hardware for machine learning companies building things like feature stores and so on. So you tend to meet a lot of industry professionals who are actually doing the work. And also you get to see some workshops and presentations where you learn a little bit about what they're doing and how they're approaching their problems. And then you also tend to get some academics Maybe I would say 30% academics uh, who, who come there and present their latest research uh, as well. So you kind of 
learn a little bit about um you know what's what the latest techniques are uh like are, are the research um areas uh <coughs> researchers are exploring as well so you get a if you're interested in any of those you you can you know schedule your own agenda to suit your own interests and it's a it's one of the better I would say I haven't been to a lot of them, but I'd say like it's one of the like you know if you're in in industry and you're uh, on the on the edge of industry and research, this is the one to go um, outside of academic conferences. Right, and I know that a lot of people, you know, myself included in this, actually, um, you know, are a little bit intimidated by conferences. Um, or they don't really know what, you know, happens in a conference. Um, and for me and people in general who've never really gotten involved with them, what do they really need to know about them? First of all, you shouldn't, uh, if you're, especially if you're looking for opportunities, because we hired someone from last year's conference. So um, companies are there to hire. Like There are career fairs. I should have mentioned that. And... It's a it's a path for you to put your put yourself in front of uh, hiring managers' faces when instead of just being one of the three hundred applicants for a job, for example, right? Right. So, right. yeah, you'll be scared. You're intimidated. Just go anyway. You're gonna be if you're if you don't get anything out of it what you what you lose is 3 days of being intimidated and anxiety filled days that's all right and and so would you would you just recommend um so have you found like from the people who found success at conferences would you just go up and try to meet as many people as possible or try to like like is the process very approachable for meeting people at a conference yeah i mean there's always going to be folks who are you know like folks you think are intimidating might just either be in shy or uh, introverted themselves right or they're just you know like facing some type of work issue and they're in a conference and they're kind of anxious about not being at work and things breaking so like it's not about you and it's not like they're judging you basically that's what i'm trying to get at it's there's it's always something that's going on on their end and if you find it during the day like people are really busy there's always like evening like social mixtures and mixers and and things like that so uh, people are a bit more relaxed uh during those they're trying to have like you know socialize I know there's usually some free alcohol. Uh, so uh, if you're if you're someone who drinks, be moderate and uh, you know, like try to try to make friends with people who are in the industry. And they, yeah, like that's a good way to meet people. Right, and I guess it helps pays off to be more you know natural and try to meet people rather than go in there um, with like with like too rigid of a purpose and like too like being too intimidated by things. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to not go in with expectations and hope. So I get that. It's just that, you know, go in there with the expectations, set yourself goals to just talk to people. And right. 
that's all you need. Uh, and then once you get comfortable, then you can move on from there. Yeah, perfect. And Ditya, just um, speaking about conferences and having that opportunity to engage with others and learn from them and also develop those connections. Uh, I wanted to kind of ask, uh, branch off a bit from that and talk about some, I guess, external uh, sources that can be transformative in your learning. So are there any, maybe even books, uh, podcasts, uh, any, any type of media that have had an impact on your career or personal beliefs? Career are my personal beliefs. Um, I would say like, um, I, yeah, I, 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 I got very into meditating for a long time, uh, for a long time, uh, each time, meaning like sometimes it's been longer than an hour, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't follow it as rigorously today, but I still keep the habit of at least meditating once a day. So uh, outside of technical work, I would say there is this um, podcast called Hel- Healthy Gamer GG. Um, it's a Harvard psych- psychotherapist and psychiatrist, I think. He's Dr. Dr. K, right? Dr. K. Yeah, he's, yeah. I think he's good when it comes to like gamers, nerds, and, you know, folks who are more introverted, I would see, I think there's a lot of overlap with people who are interested in machine learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something that, that helps me understand the cycle, like, you know, the psychological patterns that, that I may face at a given time. Um, and, you know, like that kind of calms me down a little bit to, to think that, you know, hey, it's not uncommon and there is ways to deal with these things. Uh, so that, that's one. And technical, I'd say I just like things like MLOps community. Um, yeah, I think that's the one that comes to mind. There is a couple more that I forget the names of just to keep up to speed with, uh, you know, the latest ways people use and use tools or build a new, new types of systems and so on. And you've had that transformation between more established companies, as well as starting your own business, each of which require certain skill sets. Uh, do you find that taking part in these online communities or maybe hearing experiences of others uh, allowed you to develop some key skills that have been necessary for success in either situation? Yeah. Um, I haven't thought deeply about this type of, this line of thinking, but I think it definitely has. Um, I'm trying to think. It, it definitely helps moderate my you know, inner dialogue that might negatively impact like uh, my interactions with my colleagues or, or anyone in my, my, you know, like day-to-day interactions, not even in a professional setting. Um, that could increase the levels of anxiety or, or 
you know, negative behaviors that I may have and that could impact my career. Uh, I'm, I'm talking in very abstract terms, but that, um, I can't think of a concrete example. Like if, if somebody's asking me a question at work and if I'm uh, able to tell myself, like, you don't have to respond immediately, um, take your time to listen and ask clarifying questions before assuming that they're asking you to do something immediately. That's like a very simple example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that, uh, you know, you know, the, the mindfulness and the podcasts that I mentioned have helped me um, with developing that kind of calmness a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have a long way to go still and, uh, and I'll continue improving, but that that's one example. And another example I can give is that in my previous roles, um, the company was not very technical. There was a lot of sales and marketing folks um, trying to understand the way where they come from and the way they view work and how what they consider important in 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 their day to day work. Uh, they prior, for example, they might prioritize. Um, yeah, like listening and uh, human interactions because they need to listen to their clients and talk to them. That kind of thing has also helped helped improve um, my my skills in when it comes to communication and uh, professional relationships. For sure, and I think that's really important too when you're in that fast-paced environment and working with uh, new developments in tech, and you're always looking at you know what tools and uh, what are some new technologies that you need to work with. You're always trying to kind of keep up with that. It's also important to you know take a step back and also develop that uh, I guess the mental aspect of it and ensure that you're prioritizing your personal and just social. Uh, considerations as well. So that's, I think that's really good that you mentioned, because that's something that not a lot of people consider. Uh, You do need to keep up with your own, uh, I want to say like state of mind as much as you have to keep up with the responsibilities of your work. Yeah, I agree. And I think the sooner you, you kind of, kind of, you know, focus some of your energy and effort on that uh, side of life, the fewer, um consequences you'll have like it, it always you can never like at the end of the day we're all part of society and like you know you're we're gonna have to deal with uh person-to-person interactions and you need to be able to handle that as a mm-hmm. person yeah yeah now that we've talked about um i mean we, we did talk about technical and more of the I guess the soft side of things, but real quickly, if you were to, um, I guess, advise someone on how to learn what you've been doing, um, what kind of resources or platforms um, have you, you personally used in the past to learn more about data science and um, learn more about machine learning? And, and I know you have an educational, like have an educational background, but I know tech is especially, especially a field where there's a lot of self-learning required. Um, so what would be some resources you would recommend people 
um, look at to get into this field? Hmm. Um, I mean, people say Kaggle all the time, but I I want to say like Kaggle or not, try to find a place where it'll they'll pose. You can find a lot of um, machine learning problems, and then try to like, you, you can look at the solutions that they provide, but try to build a solution end-to-end without no anybody else's code. Right. Um, like none of the code is copy-pasted. You can, even if you're just like literally copying the code, type it out yourself. Uh, and um, whenever you're doing that, uh, go to the official documentation. So if you're using, for example, Pandas in Python, go look at the official documentation of pandas and understand what the, I don't know, class or um, method that you're using is is doing. And then like, you know, try everything else that you kind of click around in the documentation as well. Like hands-on as much as you can, if you don't get it from your professional setting, this is what I would say. Um, and, and it's all like, Compute platform is free. You you have Google Colab for free, um, yeah. And all, like most of these things are open source these days. And there's a lot of I don't know help around in Stack Overflow mm-hmm. and now I guess ChatGPT as well. And and it's good it's good that you mentioned ChatGPT because my next question is kind of what do you think will be the next big trend or challenge within the field in the next five to ten years? And everyone's talking about language models right now and ChatGPT. Um, do you have any particular concern regarding that or any kind of trend you see coming in the industry? Um, I think I think people I've heard this kind of thinking a lot in a lot of different places. I think uh, a lot of companies are gonna make things less available so i think the reason you recently saw reddit and twitter limiting uh, the programmatic access of their apis or making it more expensive to do that is because they don't want to give free training data to models like this right um that's one example. Like other places might just make it just much harder to scrape their data. Uh, and I think, sure, ChatGPT is able to um, to do really well with a training data that we've had so far. But if there's any new like programming paradigm uh, or uh, or like a new tool or a new, um, you know, a new, new like, like, you know, trend or like trend in soft, like system design right. or things like that. It's just going to be um, harder for them to acquire this data. So like 
it's okay to to like I I wonder how good ChatGPT is going to be to be at developing code snippets going forward. And speaking of just in general, I guess the next big trends or challenges within the field, uh, it's always interesting to hear people's hot takes or unique perspectives on a particular subject. So my final question to you is just, do you have a machine learning or data science hot take? <laughs> um, there are so many hot takes today these days that, like, you know, it's, it's really hard to have a something unique and if it's not unique it's not a hot take anymore right mm-hmm. um I, I think yeah i think it is going to disrupt a lot of fields um it, it, it's um it, in the sense that it's it's going to to replace a lot of tasks for existing jobs, but the jobs themselves might end up being different tasks. So that's not necessarily a hot take. I just don't know. I, 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 the things that are unclear to me is this is, are the societal impacts. So we're already seeing strikes um, from the the screenwriters and the actors unions in Hollywood mm-hmm. and their main points of contentions are surrounding generative AI, right? Mm-hmm. For the writers, it's about scripts. And for actors, it's about um, like, you know, companies wanting to use, uh, scan their likeness and then just use it for cheap without hiring them in the future, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think uh, I think yeah, like I think whether it's through governments or through other means, the way the way um, the way models are going to be allowed to be used are going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and like tech companies are not just going to have their way with how uh, models shape society. I think there's going to be pushback. Yeah, that's really interesting you bring that up. I think there was also recently a Black Mirror episode surrounding that discussion as well with uh, generative AI and uh, specifically with actors and writing. And it, that sparked a lot of discussion and controversy online as well. So it's really interesting to see how uh, rapidly advancing technology is and how we keep up with it in terms of the social ethics and uh, all of those considerations that go along with it. Yeah, I mean, if you were like, you know, working in machine learning for a while, like you already knew that OpenAI was doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um it's just that we never, uh, until the um, quality of the product was there for everyone to see, nobody could really grasp the impact it might have, mm-hmm. um, I think. So 
Yeah, I, I, I just think that it's, it's going to be an interesting time as to how um, these things evolve in terms of like part of the things that we just talked about earlier was how, how, we, how available is training data, data going to be and how corporations are going to play with each other in terms of how may they make data available to these large, uh, you know, th these machine learning model providers like OpenAI or Google. Mm -hmm. And secondly, how society is going to respond to it and how much power it actually has in shaping this future. I, I really don't know. It's really, I, I don't want to, you did ask me for a hot take, you know, in the worst case scenario, there's going to cause a lot of social disruption. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, like negative disruptions, like riots, for example. Right. But I, but I hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely an interesting time that we're in right now, and uh, it'll be it'll be exciting to see, I guess, how the industry changes and progresses uh, during this time for sure. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up also, because we're nearing the end of our discussion, uh, I did want to extend a sincere thank you to you for taking the time to join us today and for sharing your experience and insights, uh, your experience in various sectors, I mean, ranging from finance to energy and retail provided our listeners with a lot of valuable knowledge and perspectives. And we greatly appreciate your willingness to discuss your notable projects, your thoughts on these uh, emerging technologies, even different ethical considerations, and overall the importance of continuous learning and improvement. So we thank you once again, uh, truly appreciate your time in joining us today. And to our listeners, we hope that you found this episode engaging, informative, and we look forward to bringing you more exciting discussions in the future. Until next time, take thank care. Thank you for listening. Ooh. Thank you.